0: Hey everybody! I'm so glad you could join us this morning. I hope you had a great Fourth of July weekend. In this life of mayhem, violence, famine, pestilence, other than that, it's it's a good day. Just teasing. I hope you're uh, doing well. We look forward to the word today. And uh, also, uh, those of you that'll be listening later, uh, we pray that uh, this word will encourage you and, and challenge you as well. So we welcome you all. I just want to say a little prayer over everybody. Father, I thank you for those that are gathered this morning. Those that have been patiently waiting, we thank you for them. And we pray for their families. We pray for their loved ones. We pray for their homes to be filled with your presence. And for those that will be watching later as well, we pray for them and their families too. We ask that you to open the word and help us, Father, to to speak your heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 All right. I'm going to give you a word this morning. I feel like the Lord has been putting in my heart. And I'm going to be coming to you from Matthew 25 and also from Ezekiel chapter 13. Matthew 25, Ezekiel 13. I don't know how much we'll get to through it, but we'll just trust the Lord. I want to talk to you about in-time things this morning uh, and what it is that we're supposed to be doing as as we see the things that are happening all over the world. And so uh, I'm gonna begin to read out of Matthew twenty five verse six and the scripture says and at midnight there was a cry that was made. Whenever you read midnights in the Bible, there's there's thirteen of them in the Bible. And when you read the midnight or or the word midnight, it it always talks about the end of days or the end of times or has to do with something of a prophetic nature, of, of prophecy. And so we're reading at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go ye out to meet him. So then all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and for you. But go rather to them that sell and buy for yourself. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. So, again, like I want to talk to you about right now, in verse 6, it talks about midnight. Now, this little story that I read to you, we've discussed before over the last several months, but there's, there's, there's as, as the days go on, there's much more that's unfolding right before our eyes. And this particular story was given... Uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ, just before he went to Calvary, just before he was going to be crucified. He left the temple in Jerusalem. He was rejected by the elders and the religious establishment. And he left with a, with a proclamation to them that they wouldn't see him back in Israel again as their Messiah until they were willing to cry, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And then from there he led his disciples to the Mount of Olives, which is to the east of the temple. And so they're sitting on the Mount of Olives and they're overlooking all of Jerusalem. And and what he had said to Israel was ringing in the ears of his disciples. They were like, we were looking for a Messiah that was coming to liberate us from the Roman Empire and here you're telling them that that you're not going to come back until they say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, until they accept you as the king. He had also told them that he was going to, uh, that not one stone would be left upon another that wouldn't be torn down, that the whole <clears throat> temple itself would be burnt to the ground. Indeed, that did happen in AD 70. And the Jewish people were scattered to the four corners of the world, never to be a nation again for almost 2,000 years. And so it wasn't until May 12, 1948 after World War II, when they came out of of the ovens of Hitler's Holocaust, that the world felt sorry for them and let them regather as a nation. And that was the, the, the trigger, if you would, for an end-time generation to understand that the prophetic time clock had started, that it was ticking. It was supposed to be the major sign. And we witnessed that in this generation, so to speak, those who came out of World War II in 1948 saw the regathering of the nation, and this is exactly what had been prophesied by the the prophets of old and Jesus himself, as to be a trigger. Now, one thing he said in connection with that, which is really fascinating, and something that we need to pay attention to, (coughs) is that the generation that would witness the regathering of Israel, the recapturing of Jerusalem, the establishment of Israel as a nation again, that the generation who would witness that would not pass away until all the signs would be fulfilled. And so this is how we know we are living in a heightened uh, expectation for the return of the Lord. If you're not familiar with prophecy, uh, there are many passages in Scripture you can look at. Gospel of St. Luke 21, where Jesus talks about there being signs in the heavens, signs in the stars, the sun, the moon, the stars... Uh, that we were to pay attention to that. The, The activity of the oceans changing, the sea and the waves roaring. Calamities coming upon the planet to such an extent that men's hearts would be failing them for fear of what they see coming upon the face of the earth. In other words, they would reach the end of their ability to find solutions to problems. And so back to this story... After He leaves the temple, He's just a few days away from going to Calvary and being crucified for the sins of the world. He takes them to the Mount of Olives and the disciples ask Him three questions. When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming? And the end of the world. Three questions. When will the end of the world be? What will be the sign of it? And when will Jerusalem be destroyed? So when you go into Matthew 24 and you begin to read what Jesus responded to them, the entirety of the chapter... 24 in Matthew's Gospel, unfolds all these signs over the panoply of human history from the time that he went away after he rose from the dead. So when we read in chapter 25 this little story that he gives, it's so that uh, we would understand the import of it and, and the weight of it. It is the last thing that he begins to say answering the third question. When will be the end of the world? And speaking only as the Lord can speak, He goes into a great description, and we picked it up in in verse six, where it says, "At midnight there was a cry made." Like I told you, midnight is very significant, for it represents uh, the end of the world. Uh, midnight is is many times in the Bible used as as a prophetic indicator. That's what you're about to read has. Prophetic overtones or prophecies concerning uh, the conclusion of all things. And I just want to say something here. <clears throat> Whenever I talk about these kinds of things, uh, there's always all kinds of different reactions. But one of them that I always feel compelled to, to explain is that when, when I say things like the end of the world or the end of the age or the end of history... I'm not talking about it in respect to the end of all things as it pertains to the people of God. Over the years, what we have seen in Christianity is a shift away from speaking about the return of the Lord. And it's only really taken a generation to cause people's minds to even forget that what the whole Bible is about is that God is dealing with wickedness, sin, and and ultimately dealing with the one we call the devil, doing away with him. And that the promise of the gospel is that there's coming a new heaven and a new earth, a new life with our loved ones, with our families, with those who believe the gospel. It is salvation through Christ alone. And most people struggle with that because it breaks into our understanding of things and challenges us. But it, it's okay to be challenged, but we also need to remember that what the Bible is telling us is there is coming an end to things. And like any good father, he tells his children what to watch for, what to alert them, what to warn them about as we see these things coming. And so that is why we look into these things. And really the Bible is one giant <laughs> prophetic It has a beginning, a middle, and an ending, and a beginning again. Now, when we pick up this story again, Jesus is answering the third question. What shall be the sign of the end of the world? And he begins with, at midnight, there's a cry made. That's what he says in verse 6, there's a cry made. So what we learn from that, and what he's alerting us to, is something, when the world begins to race headlong towards a conclusion... You're going to begin to see a shift in things as they have always been. They're going to accelerate and they're going to be sudden. The response from God's servants will be to alert His church. That's why He says a cry is made. But the cry is specific. It speaks of those who He will raise up and place within them a a sense of, an imminent, uh danger is ahead. And so he's trying to alert his people. First of all, to get mentally prepared for it. Then begin to develop spiritually or both in conjunction with one another as to what must I do? This is the question of our faith, isn't it? When we ask ourselves, what is it that we really believe? I remember when I was little, I used to think, I, I, I want Jesus to come back, but but gosh, I haven't even got married yet. I haven't got any children yet. There's other things I want to do, and and there's not, <laughs> that seems kind of, you know, uh, now that I look back on it, it's kind of silly, really, because why would I want to grow up in a world that's that's absolutely being plunged into darkness, violence, famine, men's inhumanity to man, when the scripture itself promises me. That there is an end to these things. And that there will be a literal return of the Lord Jesus Christ back to this planet. That is our hope. That is what we're looking for. And some would say, well, I really don't believe that. Well, or, or I have a hard time believing that. Or maybe you've never even thought about it. But that's what the scripture says. And so this is our faith. Do we believe? And we don't believe Blindly. We don't believe just because somebody said it. That's what the Word is for. We look in the Word and we find the keys that tell us what's going on. So one of the things he said is that when you begin to reach that midnight hour, he said, you're going to see a message come forth. And what that message is, is behold, the bridegroom is coming. Now, let's take a look at this. It says that the Bridegroom is coming. And then he says something very interesting. He says, so go out to meet him. And what this is really revealing to us is that when these things begin to come to pass, he's basically telling us that there's going to have to be a decision made. That the conventional way that has always been before is going to change. And it's going to require that his children come out of some place and head to something. And that's meeting the Lord. That's hearing His voice, preparing your heart, and going out to meet Him. Why would He say we would have to go out of something? Because as we get along in this little bit of story here, and I won't be very long, there's absolutely no way I can get to everything I wanted to share with you, but we'll get back to it again next week. But I want to hone in on this. Because really what we're witnessing right now and I, and I encourage you in your own time to go read Matthew 24. Go read Luke chapter 21. Go read Mark chapter 13. Go read Second Peter chapter 3 and many other places. And you will begin to see the story that's being told as to what we were to look for as the world heads towards its ultimate destiny. See, what the Bible puts forth is that we're going to enter into a time where the world is going to clamor to become one global system. Already in the midst of this pandemic, we're hearing cries for such a thing. And really it's been systematically coming for many, many years. The Bible predicts that there's going to be a one world government. There's going to be a one world religious system. A, a one world draconian uh, sort of implementation of the rule of law on a global scale and that it's going to emerge out of chaos and confusion so it's 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 interesting to me as we sit here this morning that what i begin to hear throughout the world right now and throughout the you know the pundits and the experts and under everything that we're going through right now is there is a push a reset. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but they're talking about this global reset. That's what they're trying to push. Early in the year, there was a meeting at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. That's where all the big-time money people get together, all the politicians, all the big corporations, all that kind of stuff. And it was there that they began to to, uh, put forth their agenda, which they've been trying to enact for decades. We've seen it run rampant throughout Europe already over the years. We've seen Western Europe coalesce and and remove its nation-state borders. It became a European Union. It moved its headquarters to, to Brussels, Belgium. It began to try and institute one economic system. Really what they were doing, whether they realized or not, was replaying a desire of what once used to be the territory of the old Roman Empire. Whoever would have thought that we could see such a, a, a return to that system, but that's exactly what the Bible predicts. And so now, in the midst of this global pandemic, the riots breaking out in the United States, the political instability, the economic uh, you know, system teetering on the brink of collapse locusts flying through East Africa. They're predicting the greatest famine that we've ever seen. Now those locusts are making their way up through South and Central America. They're predicting the greatest hurricane season the United States has seen in decades. What are you saying? I'm just saying there's all this stuff going on that the Bible said would happen. And it's its really easy to just live our lives as it is and, and be so oversaturated with information that none of it actually affects us. And especially if we're not scripturally literate, then we have, as the children of God, if you are a child of God, that we have, we if we're illiterate to the things that the scripture are telling us, then we're kind of like the proverbial frog that they put in, in the water. If the water is boiling and you drop a frog in the water, he'll jump right out. But if you put him in the water and then you gradually turn the heat up, he won't notice that he's dying until it's too late. This is what he's, he's implying here, that kind of an idea, that at midnight when the cry is made, it's going to require that a choice be made, that, 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 that we will have to leave something. See, this is where the rubber meets the road in, in, in the Gospel because really what he's talking about is leaving the system not checking out from reality but leaving the system of religion leaving the system of the world leaving the system of of all that inundates us and keeps us from living the kind of life that he's called us to live and it's most crucial he said just before I return so something, we could talk about that for a long time but I'm going to hurry here So then it says something interesting because in verse 7 it says that all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. That's very descriptive language and I'm just going to tell you real real quickly here. These are metaphoric terms. These are descriptive terms meant to to cause us to understand something he's saying. In the Bible, whenever you read about lamps, uh, in the book of Psalms 119, verse 62 it says that the word of the Lord is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. So when Jesus is speaking this story to his disciple, he's using descriptive terms that they would understand. And so when he says those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, what he's indicating, these lamps being a type of the word of God in the last days, is that everyone's going to be snipping away and looking at the word of God, trying to figure out what's going on. That's what the trimming of the lamp is. It's the cutting away of what has always been uh, established, a a mindset. I didn't know it would be like this, or maybe it's like that, or I I need to understand, and there's some things they said would happen aren't happening, or some things that were supposed to happen in a certain way, but they're not happening that way. That's what these trimming of the lamps are. That's what it symbolizes, that we're going to have to go to the Word and cut away uh, things that that we once held to because they're no longer fitting into the paradigm that that we're experiencing, the thing that's happening to us right now. That's the trimming of the lamp. And what's interesting is he says, as they begin to trim their lamps, he identifies those that he calls the foolish. The foolish, he says, and the foolish said to the wise, give us of your oil because our lamps have gone out. Remember, this is the midnight hour. It's symbolic of the darkness that comes upon the planet. And darkness takes many forms. It can be war, it can be famine, it can be plague, it can be violence, it can be the the, the breakdown of, of cultural norms, the perversions that we see all around us, the infiltration and the attack against our children in the school system. Established family ideals that are now being contested and challenged by the group think, as they say? Where they outlaw speech? Where you're afraid to say anything because it might offend somebody? But they, they 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 make no qualms about offending you as long as you tow the company line, so to speak, as long as you tow the narrative of of the woke culture, as they say in the United States. No. This is what he's speaking of here. When the, What he's revealing is there will be two kinds of churches in the midnight hour, when darkness comes upon the planet. Five are wise, five are foolish. What the foolish suddenly realize is two things. Their lamps have gone out. In other words, they haven't been in the Word in years. They haven't searched the Scriptures. So when it really matters, when, it, when it's most crucial of all, they have nothing. They, they, they look left, right, up, down. They, they look in multiple sources, but there's no light. It's dark, and they don't understand. And that's what He's revealing. They say, My lamp," that is... <laughs> The word of God, as I understand it, it's dark to me. And so they make a demand on the wise. They say, give us of your oil. Give us of your oil. But the wise tell them, no, unless there's not enough for us and for you. When I used to read this, I used to think, wow, that's pretty cruel, you know. They're supposed to be like, you know, together, these ten virgins, right? But then at the midnight hour, there's, there's, there's a separation that begins to take place. And in their desperation, the foolish ask the wise, help us and give us some, some of your oil. But we can look at this and really miss what it is that God is saying. As we go along in these coming days, and you remember what I'm telling you, because I believe I have the Spirit of God in this. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I hope I am, but I don't think so. The next several days are going to be days where we're going to wonder, is it over? What's going on? We've gotten used to the, to the norm. But this is just a season of quietness. We might have an event here or there, but as we get into the end of summer and we turn the corner towards the balance of the rest of the year, things are going to start to accelerate. And it's quite possible that right now what we're witnessing is a momentary pause. And like I said, we might see some events, but it's nothing like like we're going to see in the balance of this year. And so it is in this climate that Jesus is saying to the wise, as He's teaching us the story, that is those who would be alive in the final generation just before His return, they tell the foolish, no, we can't give you our oil unless there's not enough for us and for you. This is where the separation begins to take place. Even now, and I I know some of you that are listening and those of you that will listen by later, you have people in your life, we all have a different opinion of what's going on, right? But there are people in your life that don't see things the way that you do. Especially if you're in the Word. Or they might... You might not buy into all the, you know, the, the current things that, in our side of the world, what, what the church is saying. There's there's disagreements amongst the church people even, of what's coming. Some are saying this great revival is going to take place out of all this. And 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 for the most part, others are saying no, that's not true. That's not what God is telling me. So there's a division. There's a strife. But what becomes, uh shockingly apparent at the midnight hour is that two camps will emerge. Those who understand, those who don't. And what the Lord is communicating here and why He commends the wise is they don't give of their oil. In the beginning of the story, when they go out to meet the bridegroom, the wise take oil with them. But then they all fall asleep. Because the bridegroom didn't come when they thought. But then suddenly they become awake. The midnight hour. A a monumental event takes place that wakes everybody up. But what we see commended in the wise is that they, they initiated the kind of provision necessary so that in case He didn't come when they thought. When they woke up, they had sufficient oil to make it all the way through. This speaks of fellowship. And what Jesus is alerting us to, what the Lord is alerting us to, is at the midnight hour, a separation is going to take place, and it has to be. It cannot be any other way. People that you're walking with right now, you're not going to want to be around them if they're not the kind of people that know the Lord. Now, I know that's harsh, man, but this is what he's saying. They ask to give. And what did the wise say? If I give you what I have in this time, I won't have enough to make it through. And what is that speaking of? It speaks of those kinds of relationships that drain you Mm -hmm. and take from you. You're constantly pouring into their life. You're constantly trying to help them, especially now. But none of it seems to help. They're constantly sucking it up from you. They're doing all right, but you're feeling brought down. You're you're depleting that light in your life that's helping you make make it through right now, and will help you get through the rest. But he's saying, don't do it. See, there's five of them: five wise and five foolish. When they finally do separate, the five wise go off together. None of those other four. plus this one or the five, they're not taking oil from each other. They're actually adding to each other. They each have their own individual relationship with God. And at this time, the Lord is saying, it's, it reaches that crisis moment, that apex moment when you're going to have to be around others that have like-minded illumination, that understand what's actually happening everything conspires to blind us it's like a foggy day when you're driving on the coast or it's it's like the uh, the, the person who climbs the mountain and then wants to summit Everest but They can't because a cloud descends on the mountain and blocks their way. But suddenly the next day, because of the 100 mile an hour winds overnight, it clears out the the summit and, and everything is crystal clear and blue. That's what it's like when God reveals what he's revealing to us. We break free from the fog, we, 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 we ascend above the clouds, we see things crystal clear, but there's those who never make the effort to get through the fog or climb up above the cloud, and so they can't see. And, and what they want from the others is to give them what the others paid the price to acquire. Now we're talking about a midnight hour, and there's others, there's five, so to speak. It's the fellowship of those who know. And this is the toughest thing that's going to have to be done in this time, in these coming days. You better be careful who you're hanging out with. You better be careful who you tell somebody something to. You better be careful who it is that you're fellowshipping with. Because a spirit has come of darkness and light. And those that have the light, they must congregate together, especially now. In whatever medium or platform that may be, whether it's like this, or your neighbor next door, or gather your family around you. You might be the only one who gets it right now. Start helping them. So that when the time comes, together, you cause a great illumination to be resident within your homes, your lives, your families, your loved ones. And this is the time that division is beginning to take place. So what happens? The wise tell him, I can't, or there might not be enough for us and for you. This is the separation that's coming. It's already begun. And we're going to see it more and more. And while the foolish go away to look for oil, the Bible tells us in verse 10, when they went away from the wise, the bridegroom came. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, that's what the word says. He's going to come for his church. And it's not too many days ahead. We, have, we know from the Scriptures there's much that is yet to be fulfilled. But we're not talking 100 years or 50 years or 1,000 years. I'm not setting dates. But I know by the Word and the 30 plus years I've read it that this time that we're living in right now is unlike any time we've ever seen before. And God is crying out saying, He's coming soon. We have some time ahead of us. Let's take advantage of it. Let's gather the oil. Let's spend time with Him. Let's connect as families. Let's lay down all the trappings of this world, all the things we think we need, all the busyness of life that distracts you from what is truly important. Your relationship with God, your relationship with those you love, and looking toward the future of the return of the Lord. That's where we are right now. So I encourage you to to be encouraged today and hopefully the words have at least caused you to think (laughs) but He is coming soon the question is are we ready? can we see it? do we hear the cry at midnight? behold the Lord comes I hope to see you again next week I pray you have a blessed and awesome week gather your children hug your moms and dads tell somebody you love them but most importantly tell them Jesus is coming and he died for us and he rose from the dead and all who believe that shall be saved. That's his words, John three sixteen. Father, I bless your people. I bless those that are listening. I bless those that will listen later. Comfort them, encourage them. Challenge us all, O oh Father, for these are the days you have spoken and we know midnight is upon us. And because of that, we know you are coming soon. I bless your people, and I thank you for your presence that now fills their homes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Keep looking up.